This podcast is brought to you by Ron Price and Stacey Enos, the authors of a new book entitled Growing Influence, a story of how to lead with character, expertise, and impact. Please listen to podcast number 713, where Ron and Stacy discuss a very compelling story where Emily, a career-driven 30-something with big ambitions, meets a retired CEO by the name of David, who becomes her mentor. Throughout the course of the book, David teaches Emily some very valuable lessons on how to develop leadership skills and navigate her role as a leader. Please listen to Greg's interview with Ron and Stacy about growing influence on podcast number 713. If you want more information about Growing Influence or Price Associates, please go to www.price-associates.com backslash growing influence. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. John, you've probably listened to a few of my podcasts and you go, Jesus, this guy, every time he starts off, he thanks all his listeners. And it's like, well... You know, you do a podcast show yourself, so you know there would be no point in us doing any of this if there weren't people listening to what we do. So I constantly am grateful for that. And joining oh. me from – yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say it's it's a pleasure to be on your show, Greg, and and I do. Your your comment is, is accurate. It's, it's what makes the podcast work, and, and I, I just greatly appreciate being here and, and that, you, that you said what you did because it's true. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. And and we have really a very astute financial advisor, I'm going to call him, but it's more than a financial advisor. He's a life planner. And I saw this book from the publicist and I thought, you know what, there needs to be more of this on the air. And, you know, my podcasts are on, along the line of personal growth. This certainly fits in that genre because this is for anybody out there who has to manage their portfolios or manage their life or juggle kids or look at college funds or any of that kind of stuff. But it actually goes way deeper than that. The book is called The Wealth Creator's Playbook, A Guide to Maximizing Your Return on Life and Money. And John is joining us from Belleville, Washington. And he's got a really, really good website. And John, I'm going to let my listeners know something about you because it always builds a credibility when we can tell them who these authors are that we're talking to. So John has more than 25 years experience managing financial lives of some of the most successful wealth creators in the country, including executives at Amazon, Microsoft, Starbucks, Nike, and Facebook, which he happens to live in an area where three of those companies exist. So that's a good thing. As a guide and steward of these high net worth uh, individuals and families, he's acquired unique insights into the challenges and opportunities for wealth creators as they seek to have it all and live fully. Uh, He's considered to be an expert in wealth and life and financial planning, and he owns a firm called Highland Private, a Belleville-based wealth management firm. He's a CFA chartered holder and a CPA inactive and a certified professional coach from the International Coaches Federation. Uh, This is John's first book. And as he said in his book, "Ah, probably not the easiest thing to write. (laughs) He's also co-authored Hello Someday, an inspirational retirement book. Uh, his writings have been featured in Harvard Business Review, 25 Business Mag- 425 Business Magazine, the Puget Sound Business, 
He's also the host and creator, as we said, of a podcast called The Wealth Confident Podcast. Um, he's married uh, for 32 years. He has a great rescue dog. He's a grandfather. He's a competitive rower and a spiritual agitator, which we're going to get into that one because I want to know what the heck that means. Uh, <laughs> but John, it's a pleasure having you on the show and spending a little time with the listeners out there who literally would love to plan their finances better, right? We all want to do better at that. Of course, and, of course. You know, this is a great book. It really is. And, and you know, I've seen a lot of books come across my desk. As I was telling you earlier, I, I get about five books a week from publishers that want me to do podcasts. And you mentioned in the introduction of the book that wealth creators are no different than anyone else other than the fact that they're in pursuit of success. And this can lead to what I call, or you call, the widening gap between the ideal life and the one they're currently experiencing, which is true because when you're in the pursuit of finances, sometimes it isn't the easiest and it occupies and imbalances your life. So you're spending so much time doing it. How do you help advise your clients to close the gap and learn how to enjoy their life more fully. Yeah, so it's, uh, let's thank you so much for that introduction, by the way. It's always <clears throat> humbling to hear uh, somebody talk about you, um, and, and I'm listening, you know, uh, but it, it is humbling. And I've, I've been incredibly blessed to have the career I've had and that uh, clients have, uh, current and past, have, have allowed me into their lives and allowed me to uh, not only watch them uh, navigate life and money, but also for me to learn and for my own experience that has kind of led me to this place. But but anyways, I, I just wanted to make sure and say that I, uh, I'm incredibly blessed to be where I am. And so uh, the, the thing that I found, I guess let me just start out by saying what, what I found was that I was watching these successful wealth creators, uh, and it, as money was accumulating, it, it wasn't creating, you know, some level of happiness that that made it, you know, significant change in their life happiness. Sure, it gave them freedoms and choices, and and expanded their opportunity set, but it wasn't creating the kind of happiness or fulfillment. Um, and so that's been really the journey of my life and my my career. Really, has been around well. If that's not it, what is it? And and what I concluded was that it was a much more holistic view of life um, that included other things. Well, that brings and in your spiritual agitator. It, it, you know, it, it, uh, it for you, sure. Uh, you know, the interesting thing is, you know this, I'm sure, but there was a study done uh, not that long ago about the threshold people need to reach to reach that level of happiness. And it's like, it's really low. It's like around $50,000, right? And yeah. they're saying incrementally, once you get above whatever that number is, there's no higher degree of happiness. Happiness is an internal job. So, you know, how do you get them to look at themselves differently as a spiritual agitator? Well, what it, what you do is you start to, I think it's just this awareness, though. What we are really talking about is this for a lot of people, if that definition, if you don't define success, Brene Brown says, actually, it's one of the most important things that you can do in your life is define success and, and for yourself. Because if you don't, 
culture and, you know, other people will define it for you. And our cultural definition of success, just look at who we celebrate, uh, you know, celebrities and sports stars and business professionals. And so, um, and if you, so therefore, if you choose money as the ultimate destination of success and you over obsess on hitting some target and you don't find satisfaction in your own life. So it starts with just that awareness. Then secondly, oh, well, there's these other facets to my life what I call your life portfolio. And I talk about that in my book, but this idea that we have other components to our life, whether it's, it is our work, it might be an avocation though. It might not be for pay, um, but it's our health and it's our relationships and it's our ability to play and just the enjoyment of life. Uh, it, it's just our uh, personal growth and development, our mind, and then our spirituality, our connection to something you know greater than ourselves, our purpose, if yeah. you will. And so, so, so bringing in this broader definition and saying, look, I can't define that for you. Uh, and I don't think anybody should. It, that's your job. Um, but we're, what I'm trying to encourage people to do is take that inner journey, if you will, which we're not taught how to do, Greg. We're just not. We're taught how to go and make money, but we're not taught how to go on an inner journey of discovery for some of the things I just mentioned. Well, but, it, you know, at least as a financial advisor, you know, most advisors out there um, do don't feel like they have the permission to cross that. And I get from you right off the bat that you've you've given yourself permission and you're very confident to be able to cross over that area. And you I wasn't that, always, though. I, 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 I wasn't always. I get nobody is until you reach certain ages and you have certain experiences or sometimes never in this lifetime. Right. Because. You don't figure it out. Sometimes you don't figure it out. And you mentioned that yeah. the book provides this practical advice and the aim to maximize the gift of wealth. And when people have enough, and I want to underline the word enough, how do you advise them to find this purpose, this meaning, so they can share their wealth or do something? And I call it going from success to significance. You know, how do you help them bridge that? I mean, money is money is money, right? Yeah, you put in yep. great investments. But the reality, if that money is earning them enough that they can live off of the money, uh, what's next? You know, and that's what's really interesting when you ask people, what's the money for? Um, we, we, can, uh, we can get so focused on accumulating it, we've lost track of what it's for. There's a great statement I say a lot, which is, uh, money is is not the end. It's a means. It's a means for achieving things that are important to you. And what are those things? And so part of that is asking questions like that that would say it isn't the money that's bringing you satisfaction. I think people intuitively know that. But what does bring you joy and satisfaction? And those things are going to be connected to the things you value. So there's a sense that we have to understand what you value most. Where are your core values? We need to understand where you, who you are. There's there's a part of this that's calling, and and where 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 what's my unique contribution to this world uh, that I can bring? And so all those pieces are part of this self discovery that leads someone to say the money has to be in service to something else. And ultimately, you've already brought up one piece, which is generosity. That that generosity is an interesting component of that. It's and many people have said before me that there's this idea that when we're in service to other people, we're in service to something else. Guess what? That creates joy. Uh, it, it's, it's free joy. It's free dopamine uh, yeah. for our yeah, lives. Yeah. Uh, well, you refer to it, you refer to it in the book as inner and outer wealth. And, and 
you've had some great experiences, John. Uh, you worked for very wealthy family offices early on, especially working in a family office for some clients in San Diego. And I live here in San Diego and I know that there's family offices everywhere. And particularly this point in the book, what did that experience teach you about family dynamics and the management of wealth from the psychological standpoint? Well, I think what it taught me and and even my next career move that I mentioned in the book, which is there was just this over-focusing on the wealth and the things it could buy and the complexity. And so I learned early on that money provided, as I said earlier, choices and freedoms, but it came with these other complexities, some of them psychological. So there was identity issues. There was just uh, this sense of relational complexity that the money brought. And, and, and that can be in a marriage. It can be in family and friends. It can be with kids. Just the, the complexity it brings to you know, your kids as it relates to money. So all those things were pieces that I was able to see and experience and realize that most people don't recognize that until they have money. They think I'm going to get a certain amount of money and then life is going to be easy and or I'm going to have it made or if only I had X, my life would be so much better. And you just don't recognize the fact that those psychological factors will be there in a way that you didn't experience and aren't prepared for. Most definitely. And, you know, um, throughout this book, you weave this in, but in so many things that can become, they come between in between relationships with spouses, children, other family members when it comes to money. People divorce over money, businesses dissolve over money, families fight when estates are distributing over money. What general advice would you recommend when it comes to the complex relationship with money and family? The, the first one is that, uh, that I talk a, a fair bit about in the book is this idea of kind of knowing your money history. Um, and through knowing your money history, you have a much clearer sense of, uh, of what were the, what role did money play in your, in your life growing up? What rules of thumb did your parents teach you or not teach you? And how did that impact your life as an adult? So that's an interesting thing. The other thing that I think is helpful to, and, and all that leads to, the reason for knowing that, I guess, the answer would be uh, higher and better communication. So if, if we can communicate better and understand that wiring we have that's grounded in our past, that helps significantly. The other piece is, what's your emotional triggering to money? So we have almost a limbic response when money is is uh, in our, uh, you know, we're, we have emotional responses as it relates to money, regardless of whether we're spending, whether we're saving, whether we're sharing money, that happens. And so understanding what that money EQ is, as I refer to it, your emotional intelligence as it relates to money, is another huge component of that. And then lastly, what are the values that we have? What are the values that I have individually? And what are the values that we share as a family or as a couple or whatever? Because what you find is those values impact what we think about money and if those values are aligned, it greatly simplifies decision-making and almost makes uh, money effortlessly move towards the things that matter most to us. So those are a couple things that really help that dynamic and help the conversation uh, to be much simpler and much better. Well, let's go back to this, uh, dive a little bit deeper on the EQ, the emotional mm-hmm. intelligence. You know, 
you speak about it in the book. Um, you, how do you advise your clients to become more comfortable about money? And I think more importantly, their own self-worth. Look, when people are brought up and you you say, well, when is enough enough, right? Mm-hmm. Um, somebody don't, some people, many people don't know how to turn off the enough button. Not just the enough button with money, because money can still flow in even though they're not working for it, right? It's investments mm-hmm. they've made. It's all kinds of things. But how do you define for these people this whole perspective of as being a spiritual agitator, their own self, their ego, their drive to say, hey, you might want to put that in check. What are you, what are you going to tell people? Well, that was part of the reason why I developed this money EQ uh, concept was that I was watching clients get emotional about money and emotional, emotions mostly based in fear. So whether that be anxious and worry or whether that be controlling and hoarding or whether that be just caution, confusion, guilt, didn't matter. Emotions kind of grounded in fear and those leading them to poor decision making. And and I believe that emotions are connected directly to the decisions we make, both positive and negative. So so that's what I was seeing. And so I it was difficult for me to say, hey. Uh, you know, and I didn't want to judge somebody and say, hey, here's what I'm seeing. But if I could help them self-assess that and lead them to a better outcome, that that's what the concept of money key was. So if they can consider abundance and consider stewardship as a part of their consciousness, what I was experiencing was that people had a higher level of contentment, confidence, joy. And so it was focusing on those concepts instead of the others. The other thing I would say is there's a real there's a real importance in running the numbers, doing the math. I think we can talk all day long about these emotional and psychological concepts, but there's a grounding in actually running how much money will it take to, and that's straight up the middle financial planning, how much money will it take to to live the life you've chosen and to fund the dreams you have in your life and is what's possible, you know, really set the stage for what's possible. What's it going to take? Cause if we never do that, that uncertainty of kind of then we're always chasing the next rung up the financial ladder if we never calculate for ourselves how much is enough. And you're right. There's a subset of people that have not only reached the level of enough, they have more than enough. Mm-hmm. It's beyond how much I can spend. Now I've got more than I could spend. So then the question to those people is, what's the money for? There's right. a venture capitalist in, in British Columbia that I know named Joel, Joel Solomon, and he gets pitched all the time these ideas of course i'm going to we're going to here's a great business idea i want you to invest in it and we're all going to make a million you know billion dollars or whatever it is and his first question to them after that is what's the money for and most people of course haven't thought about that because once you've you know bought the home and the cars and paid for the schools and you still have more than enough you now have one or two choices which is i can go inward and actually decide why I have this gift, this what I refer to as a blessing in my life, and what's it for, mm-hmm. uh, or I cannot, and I can just hoard it, control it, worry about it, manage it, but really then it's stuck. It, it hasn't provided any value to my life or to anything beyond that. So, so those are a couple ways that I try and communicate and talk about that concept. Now, 
I think for those listeners out there that are going, wow, these guys have been talking about the psychology and I don't have enough. So for all those of you listening, they're saying you don't have enough. John states in the book that there's a record number of people joining the Millionaires Club. And for those of you listening who aren't in it, you'd probably like to be in it. He states that 15.3 million people in the U.S. were worth more than a million people and 3,000 new millionaires each day. And for a lot of listeners, they're going to go, well, why isn't that me? So who are these people and what advice do you have for those who are out there listening and aspiring to join that millionaire club? Yeah, I don't think there's the advice I have is there's nothing wrong with wanting to have financial success. It's in that life portfolio I mentioned earlier in our conversation, the number one, the very first stock in that portfolio is your money stock. That's the fuel that that gives this thing, makes this thing work. I wanted it all in my life. I wanted the money and I wanted all the other stuff. I, I just didn't want it exclusively. I do think, though, that regardless of where you are, if you're an aspiring wealth creator, you haven't reached the level of wealth that you would like to be at. Part of that is also having this sense of abundance that I mentioned earlier. And that abundance isn't practically how much money I have. It's a mindset. It's a mindset of kind of if you set a fuel tank in your fuel gauge in your car where that fuel gauge says full, not because you have so much money, but because I just feel like I have sufficiency. I have plenty. There's enough around me. uh, And I believe that the amount of money I'm going to need to have will be there. You and I talked about that before we jumped on the podcast. But there, there is that sense of of it's okay to pursue wealth, but but pursue that in a way that's in a healthier mindset for yourself and in context with these other things in your life. Well, you refer to the life portfolio. You've mentioned it uh, a second ago, this outer wealth, the inner wealth. And you also discuss in the book, the seven types of capital that one should consider in their life portfolio or their life portfolio. Can you mention those? And briefly, I thought they were really interesting. And I think it is one of those uh, areas that you talk about the spiritual agitator and you even have that as one of the seven. So speak with us if you would, because that is actually going to give them uh, a pretty good understanding of how you look at wealth planning. Yeah. So I, I'd be happy to. So as you back to our original conversation a little bit ago about success, one way to help people define success was this idea of a life portfolio. And so as an investment guy, I kind of look at that through the lens of investment language. So I I said, well, let's treat it like an investment portfolio. And what would be the stocks that are in my life portfolio? And those stocks are first your money stock. As I said, that's the fuel. That's the stock that gives you the choices and the freedoms and creates the solution set that's available to you. The second one is your work. So where am I passionately engaged in something that matters and, and that brings out my skills and talents and capabilities, whether that's for pay or not for pay, it doesn't matter. Um, but, I, you know, the goal is to win, you know, it's to produce something, to produce, produce an outcome that engages me meaningfully. The, uh, the, the third stock uh, is your health. So both my emotional health and my physical health, because what good is it to have a whole bunch of money and all these things, but I'm not healthy enough to enjoy them. Uh, then you've got your relationship stock. So that's my family. That's my uh, friends. That's the relationship I have with my community, with the world around me. So all that piece of, of my life. 
Uh, then I've got my play stock. That's just that idea of just unadulterated enjoyment of life, travel, uh, and the pieces that just bring me joy from, from experiencing life. Uh, the sixth one is our mind, that personal growth and development, evolving as a person. Um, I believe I've evolved significantly in my life as I've focused my energy on trying to be and grow and become the best person I can become. Uh, and then the last one is purpose. It's, it's your heart. What, what is the, what is the connection uh, you have in your life to something greater than yourself, your contribution that's, that's connected to something bigger than you? So those were the seven elements. And what was consistent with an investment portfolio, I said, well, if that's, if that's my life portfolio, what would I say if it was an investment? Well, there's a couple of things that would be connected to an investment portfolio. One is my objective. What, that has to have an objective. It has to have a goal. What is the goal of that life? What is it that I'm trying to accomplish? The second thing is diversification. How do I look at each of those stocks as one of them dominating? Is maybe there's a laggard there that I will want to spend some more time and energy on. Maybe I'm spending too much energy on my money and my work to the detriment of some of these other areas of my life. And, I, and only you can define that. And then the last one is the rate of return. There isn't a person that comes into my office over the years that doesn't want stock returns on their portfolio for zero risk. But when we look at our life through that lens, what's the expected return we have on our life? And I, in a lot of cases, people have CD level returns and they, they want to get higher returns. They, they just haven't really thought about it. And for me personally, I believe I only have one life to live and I want that return on my life to be the best possible return I can get. And so what, is there a gap between the return I'm experiencing in life and that I was created for and the return that I'm actually accepting. So, so that would be a framework that could help people uh, think about their life differently. Well, you know, as, as you know, in the financial world, they look at risk tolerance. People take little quizzes to find out what their risk tolerance is. And I think that risk tolerance is a result of a, a long set mindset that's been there. And you obviously dealing with people understand there's different levels of tolerance and you're trying to get people instead of to contract, to kind of expand, um, you know, and with that being said, um, all of the listeners out there, um, you talk about navigating the complexity of the financial world. We all have internet access to so much data about stocks, bonds, financial instruments. What advice do you have for those people that are listening right now that might have some anxiety about dealing with this and what are some of the specific situations that contribute to this ongoing complexity that people are dealing with? Because it is moving very, very fast. Yeah, I, I don't think we have any shortage of information for sure. Uh, there's, there's tons of data available, but most people, even you know, people that are very successful, it's no different. But they don't know who to trust. And I think the, the biggest issue is to find a truly trusted advisor that can help get through that complexity and simplify it. I think that is the number one enemy of the wealth creator, regardless of whether you're aspiring or currently or will be in the future through inheritance. Um, complexity is, is a huge issue. And because if you can't simplify that and find somebody that can help you simplify that, and that's the idea, a simple idea for a lot of people is diversification is just open up accounts everywhere. Well, of course, that doesn't work. We run into that all the time. Um, 
so one of the things you can do is just to stop doing that, simplify, consolidate so you can see what you're doing and why you're doing and actually manage the assets you have. So, so one thing would be that. The second one is to find somebody who has that can advise you and help you, that could be a truly trusted advisor that has as little conflict of interest as possible. Uh, in today's world, it's, it's difficult to find uh, someone to advise you that, that doesn't have something in it for them. And, and that's hard, I realize, and, and you can't eliminate that. But I think understanding where your advisor gets paid and how they get paid is incredibly important. Um, so those are a couple things that make sense to me and, and are things that I'm sharing with people all the time. And we could go into more on investments and, and how to simplify things there as well, if you'd like to. Well, I think that uh, individuals don't mind paying for a financial planner on a fee basis, um, provided they have the money. And then there's a lot of people that I don't know how many you deal with like that, but they come in and you know it's gotta come from some commissions whether it's A, B, or C on the mutual funds or whatever it is that they're buying. That being said, um, you know, you mentioned in the book, and I think this is an area that is growing immensely, there's over $22.8 trillion invested in socially responsible investments. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone has interest in socially responsible investing, how much of their portfolio or maybe all of it would you recommend being invested into such investments? And why do you, why did you spend this time bringing this up in the book and what's the importance of it as far as you're concerned? Well, the reason I brought it up, let me start there is just, I believe that uh, how we spend, uh, share, uh, invest our money is a reflection of who we are. And I think no matter how much money you have, um, you're either conscious of those decisions or you're unconscious. And I believe we have a responsibility as wealth holders, regardless of the amount we have, to be conscious of what our money is doing in the world and and what it's uh, indirectly reflecting. Uh, And so I think when you have a mindset shift like that and realize, oh, I actually uh, can use my money in a way that aligns with my values and what I care about. And, and I'm not suggesting that I'm going to tell you what that is. I'm just saying there is a sense of saying uh, I'm going to choose to, to view my money as if it has my name on it. Uh, and so, uh, cause it, it does <laughs> indirectly it does. And so I think that's what's occurring. And I believe that's what's occurring in the world today because more and more of these, uh, what used to be called socially responsible investing, but now ESG or any other number of impact investing vehicles are, are expanding. And why? Because people are starting to realize I can connect my values and what I care about. I can put my money in a place where I can still get returns. And, in, and there's studies starting to say that I can get returns better than I would if I didn't take that approach. It didn't always, that wasn't always the case, but that's, becoming more and more true now that by doing good, uh, I can actually do as well, if not better over the long term. And so that stigma of saying, I got to give something up if I, if I try and do good with my money, uh, that's no longer true. Uh, so, so for all those reasons, I just think it's a fascinating place. And the more money you have, and as you go up that socioeconomic ladder, I think the responsibility goes up higher. Um, I think it's similar to our conversation around enoughness. I think 
you know, that's the spiritual agitation thing in me that says, look, you've been given this gift and, and don't be unconscious about it. What is it about that money you have and where it's going to be invested and where you're going to spend it? And, and it, are you conscious about where you're putting it and, and investing it and using it? Uh, and I encourage people just to keep looking at that. I'm not saying I've got to, you need to make, come to some conclusion about that immediately. I just want to get people on that journey because I think it is, and I believe it is, a, a lifelong journey as we learn more about ourselves and learn more about the world and learn more about how we want to connect to the world and contribute to it. It certainly is uh, an interest of more and more people, and obviously it's it's growing tremendously at $22.8 trillion. And I think it will continue to grow uh, astronomically as more and more millennial are making money because they're more and more conscious of that as well. Um, yeah, they totally not, get that. Yeah, they totally get it. And I'm not certain the baby boomers uh, still get it, but they're, but they're moving in that direction than all the people in between. Now, you uh, talk about living fully and that it, that it intrigued you for years and that mm-hmm. it means something different uh, to different people. It's, it's a, it's your own definition of living fully mm-hmm. in your estimation or give an example, if you would, to the listeners of someone who has is living fully. So if you were to take somebody from today's world, you know, Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or whoever, and say, mm-hmm. Hey, look at these are the characteristics of somebody who's probably living fully. Look, they're, they're donating their money, they've made money, they've whatever. What, what would you say about what it is to live fully? Well, I think, let me start by just saying, what's the byproduct? <laughs> the byproduct of living fully is, is joy. It's uh, peace. It's uh, freedom. It's uh, contentment. Those are the evidences of a life fully lived. Um, shalom in the world of spirituality where everything just is kind of working together the way it was designed and should. And, and I believe that we were all created to live fully. Um, and that's where this idea came from. And some of the things we talked about today, the life portfolio, but for, for me, I would just say, I believe that journey is first in understanding who you are. And so, uh, and having a sense of who you are. And then secondly, why were you created? Why, why are you here? And these are big questions, you know, Greg, these are not small questions. This is part of that inner journey. And then thirdly, what's, what's my unique contribution to the world? Um, and, and if you can answer those questions and move through that and then connect your money to that, what I've found is that leads you to those outcomes. It leads you to joy. I've experienced it in my own life. That's the reason why I went on this journey. And it isn't about perfection. It isn't about everything works great, but it's that I'm, I'm stepping, you know, in faith, in, in risking, I'm moving out. Even what I'm doing now with the book, I'm stepping towards some things that aren't a sure thing, but they are part of a calling I have to give and to, to provide and bring the gifting and experiences I have in my life. It's part of my living fully. It's part of my, where I can contribute uniquely to the world around me by bringing what I have uh, to the world. And I, I think that's what we were all designed for. I think that's what we're all created for. We have, and you have, you have your own gifting. You're bringing 
podcast information to people. And, and so there's, there's things we can all do, but that starts at a place of knowing who you are, why you were created, what you have to bring uniquely, and then stepping towards it, which is the risk part. And most people don't do it because it's risky. It might not work. It might, you might look stupid. Uh, all the things I recognize, heck, this book may fail, whatever, right? Um, but usually where we find the most joy and contentment and peace is when we're stepping towards those places in our life. In my experience, that's been true. Um, so it isn't always the Warren Buffetts because sometimes what can happen is you can have so much money and you become incredibly insulated from those feelings. There's really nothing that could touch you. There's no, I, I was talking to a guy recently who sold his company and he told me he was depressed. And I said, when was the, and, and he sold it for a, a ton of money and financially could do anything he wanted, buy any houses he wanted, right? It was all, you know, upside for him. I said, when was the last time you did something that even remotely felt like risk? And he said, I can't even remember the last time. Yeah. And I thought yeah. that was fascinating. And I do believe there's something about putting ourselves in a place where we put, move towards things that are connected to who we are and where, where we can contribute, but are risky. They're not a sure thing. So uh, that's a lot of stuff, but uh, from my life and what I've learned, but that's, that's the essence of what I believe living fully is grounded in. Well, there's a sense, uh, John, for people, you say risk, but it's really the uncertainty, you know, um, actually stepping out and being able to live in uncertainty because what happens is usually when you're there, there's this unique spiritual thing that happens where there's a connection um, from the universe. If you're, if, and you've said this many times during the podcast, if you're aware um, that you awaken to um, and having that ability to be in that level of uncertainty is really a beautiful thing. You just have to take the first step. And the other thing I want to kind of wrap the interview up here with is you need, one last bit of advice or wisdom that you would leave the listeners today with that are listening, saying, okay, I'm going to go get the wealth creators playbook. Uh, I want to get on a journey that John's talking about. I wanted to find my purpose. I wanted to find my why I have to get my affairs in order. What would you tell them other than buying the book? Yeah, that would be great if they bought the book. That would be wonderful. Because uh, the idea there on the book is, uh, is I want to get this message out to people. And more and more people, I think, uh, need to hear this. Um, but um, what I found in my life is that uh, you just need to take that step forward. Action. Action is the last piece of advice I would give people. Don't just think about it. Don't just, yes, do the inner work and do all the things you need to do to get yourself prepared, but then move. Because what can happen is we, we can just, the reason we're living muted lives in some cases is because we just aren't willing and capable to make that first step. And if that takes a coach or a, or a counselor or a financial advisor or, or a trusted advisor in some form or a mentor to help you move forward and take that first step and just do something. And I don't think you have to wait till I have a certain amount of money and then I'll go live the life I really feel like I was created for. What if you just started moving towards it now? And that's part of the spiritual agitation for me is I believe I'm here on this earth to, to just encourage people into that place that they in some cases can't see in some cases they can, 
and just encourage them to move towards it and, and just to start moving towards it. And because what I found too is that the more and more money you have, now anything is possible, but when you have so much money, nothing is possible because you don't know where to go. You know, I can do anything, but then nothing's possible, right? So it's almost easier when you're not in that place because you have constraints. And when you have constraints, then you've, you've got a less, lesser choices maybe, but that shouldn't be the excuse to not move. My, my encouragement would be to move. Take one step towards the life you believe that's your ideal life. Well, that's sound wise advice. And, and on the other hand, too, here for my listeners, we're going to have a link to John's website. Um, but importantly, he gives this money EQ assessment and you can get that at moneyeq.com. You can just go directly to that and hit the let's go button. Um, if you want to learn more about John and the book, it's J C C H R I S T. I-A-N-S-O-N.com. There you can look more about the book, the podcast, as we discussed earlier. Um, John, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth and spending a little bit of time discussing your book, your philosophy, and how people can actually shift their mindset about money. And I think uh, that's one of the most important things that we talked about today. Um, Thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth. Oh, thanks, Greg. Really a pleasure being on the show. 